You know, I grew up watching fairy tales. I don't know how, how many of y'all remember the fairy tales growing up. Yes, my, my favorite was Sleeping Beauty and Rumpelstiltskin. But the one that I, I really remembered the most was Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I remember at the beginning of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the scroll that's read reveals the wicked queen daily looking at this magic mirror and saying, y'all know it, mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? And the scroll revealed that as long as the mirror named the queen, Snow White was safe. But then one day she goes to the mirror and the queen looks into the mirror and the mirror says to her, vain is your beauty. Majesty, but oh, a lovely maid I see. Rags cannot hide her gentle grace. Alas, she is more fair than thee. Well, the queen's face contorts and her eyes burn with anger. How could a maid dressed only in rags compare to a regal beauty of a queen? Reveal her name, demands the queen. The mirror tells the queen the name of Snow White, a lash for her, hisses the queen. Though she is a beautiful queen surrounded by royalty, her envy of Snow White begins to consume her. And from that moment forward, the queen uh, tries to destroy Snow White. And the queen commands a huntsman to take Snow White out, you remember, sends that huntsman to kill her and asks him to bring her her heart when this doesn't work, the king, queen tries to kill Snow White by giving her a poison apple. And then the queen perishes while fleeing the scene of the crime. And she is destroyed by envy. And today I want to talk to you about envy. Envy is not a, a, a real fun subject to talk about. It's a secret sin of the heart that nobody has. Now, I don't know how to explain that, but we've all walked in envy from time to time. And I want to do a, I'm actually going to do a two-part series because it's kind of hard to talk about envy one time. There's so much information in the Scripture about envy. So this week, I'm going to give you a general overview of what envy is, and hopefully we'll get rid of envy. So the next time I come and speak on it, you won't have any more. And you can really enjoy more of what I'm trying to say. You know, I grew up in Tulsa, Oklahoma as a young boy. And this envy, this envy thing started at, uh, w with me in a young age. Now, uh, I'm telling you something that's probably, uh, probably seems kind of weird, but at, at the age of two, I was in the Tulsa Civic Ballet dancing on a stage in front of several hundred people uh, in a modern dance ballet recital at the age of two. And I can prove it by the fact that I have a video showing me doing it. And I was the, I was the groom, and I had a bride, and I was, I was dancing with her. Hey, this sounds good, side by side. And <clears throat> I started at the age of two with probably a competitive attitude because I remember <laughs> during the performance, I ran off the stage crying because I didn't do a very good job, and all the adults were there, you know, trying to console me. So I stayed in that arena of competitive ballet for like five years. And 
until I was seven years of age. And back then, I'm 62, so that was 60 years ago. There were only two men in the ballet company, and I was one of them. And the other one was named Roman Jaskinski, and he was from Poland. And so we danced together for about five years, and he was my best friend. Well, you get a lot of persecution as a male ballerina. You know what I'm saying? But now, one of the things that they did that they don't do today is they separated us from the girls. There were two of us, and we'd go in the room, and then they'd bring the girls in, and we'd dance for about five years, and I wanted to be the best ballet dancer there was on the planet until one day I decided this isn't for me. And at the age of seven, I went into baseball. And it, 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 envy followed me into baseball. At the age of seven, I played on a, a team called the Pilots. And then I played on a team called the Pioneers. And then I played on a team called the Tigers. Now, the Tigers were much like the Auburn Tigers. Uh, we won every game. You know, the, uh, we, we actually won 18 games in a row. And I was very envious because I was a third baseman. And I would watch other third basemen, and I'd be envious of them, and I'd go home and practice. So I became one of the best third basemen that I could become. And then all the way up through uh, junior high and high school, I ended up on uh, Barry High School's baseball team, and we won the state title. And again, competition, envy, comparison. And then all that transferred as I went to uh, Bible college and, and was called into the ministry. Then I got competitive with other pastors. In my first youth pastorship, I was over in West Plains, Missouri. There were four churches in town, and one of them was a Baptist church. They had about 28 kids, and we had 17. <laughs> so I started competing with the Baptist church across town. I was envious because they had more kids than we did. So one of my friends and I started a youth ministry outside the local church because we wanted to reach the whole community for the gospel. So we went to A&W Root Beer and started hanging out with a bunch of kids so that we could have the biggest and best and greatest youth group that West Plains, Missouri has ever had. And, you know, I, I wasn't motivated by Jesus. Most of the time I was motivated by this thing called envy because I wanted to have the best. And, you know, the elders, well, we didn't have elders, but we had deacons. And the deacons were very, very high pressure. I was getting a salary. So if I had six kids at youth group one week, the, the elders would get together, the deacons would get together and said, you only had six. You're not doing a good job. So I'd get that envy thing kicking in, and I'd go find some kids. Hey, I need you to come to youth group uh, this week so we'll look good. You know, I'm just sharing my heart. It was good, though, that they got saved in the midst of it. You know, because it's God's job to save people and not ours. Isn't that some good news? So I say all that to tell you my story on this envy trap, on how we all can fall into this trap. Now, at 62, I've had some victory in this area <laughs> because I've been broken. I've, I've gone down the road of, does it really matter? I mean, we, we, we were in a church recently that had a, has 35,000 people. And it's in Birmingham. It's called Church of the Highlands. You know, every pastor in town is, has to fight jealousy and envy over that one church. Because God's hand is on that church, and God's hand is on your church. You don't have to worry about you, Let me tell you one thing. I, I don't believe that Nelson wants to pastor a church of 35,000. 
He might, but he's told me that he didn't, so I believe him. You see, God's hand works in, in different people different ways. So we've got to be aware of this envy trap because we, what we do is we look to the right and we look to the left instead of looking up and in. And all this started in the book of Ecclesiastes. If you want to turn there with me, if you've got your phone, look on your phone. I call the phone the fake Bible. But it, it sure does help. You know, there, there's a lot of preachers today that use that phone, and you can look up a scripture while you're driving in the car. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. But, and I'm not envious of, of ministers that have uh, phones. Are you there yet? Ecclesiastes 4, beginning at verse 4. Again, this is Solomon, and Solomon was a wise man, was he not? Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbor. Well, there it is, ladies and gentlemen. Solomon has it right at the beginning of this, of this and this is an old book. This book is over 3,000 years old. He said that skillful work which is the word achievement, and all toil, that's work, is motivated by envy. That's an amazing statement. And what does he describe it as? He says, this is vanity and grasping for the wind. How many of y'all have ever tried to chase the wind? It's kind of hard to catch it. It's moving. You don't even know where it's going. I mean, if you've ever been in a windstorm and you run over here, the wind's over here. Then it's over here. That's what, that's what happens when we envy, envy our neighbors. We run after it. We chase the wind. And then he says in verse 5, the fool folds his hands. Well, he's, what he's saying here is if you want to get away from envy, just go and fold your hands and rest for a while and not do anything. But he calls him a fool. So that's not a good thing. The fool folds his hand. Well, I won't be envious of my neighbor. I'll just go sit in my, on my porch and watch the trees wave. And I'll just fold my hands. No. And consumes his own flesh. And he gives us the answer to, to envy. He says, better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. You know what he's saying here is that if I'm working and I'm working hard and I'm using one hand to work, that hand is working with contentment. It's a Hebrew idiom and it's just I'm, I'm working with one hand and I'm working with contentment and I'm not trying to get both hands full and clench both of my hands working from 5 a.m. in the morning to 2 o'clock in the morning and getting two hours of sleep and working seven days a week and trying to hold everything close to me with both hands full. What he's trying to communicate is you need to be in rest and contentment and work hard, but do it in a reasonable fashion and don't compare yourself with how well your neighbor's working. You know, the place that I work, I, I would have a hard time in the place that I work if I were to live this verse with envy, because custodial work is not something that you do the whole eight hours that you're there because the teachers are in the room 
And you can't go and run a vacuum cleaner in the middle of a room when a, ch when a teacher is teaching a class. But the other extreme of that is if you try to clean the rooms in the morning before school starts, and then you sit the rest of the day and then go home in the evening. Well, that's not hard work. If you work from 6 a.m. and get off at 5 to 8, and then the rest of the day you just sit around and watch TV. Well, that's folding the hands. But if you work diligently the whole day, you clean a little here, you clean a little there, you clean up a little vomit here, you clean up a little vomit there. You're working in diligence and you're moving the whole time you're there, which takes off about 40 pounds. I'm 40 pounds lighter than I was seven years ago. So it does help to do little by little by little. This is what he's talking about. And what envy happens when someone's looking at your work habits and, and, and they're going, I, I want to do what they're doing. And I could be, I could be envious of the other janitors who, who sit around for two and three hours and don't do what I'm doing. Then it goes into the sin of pride because I say I'm working harder than them. How about a football coach? You got a guy working hard over here and another guy just kind of going like this. You know why? Because we're looking to the right, looking to the left. Hey, that's a good ballet step, isn't it? Looking to the right, looking to the left, instead of looking up and in and getting our value from our walk with God, and we're working for one, an audience of one. John chapter 5, verse 44 says, You do your work to the glory of God and not to the glory of each other. You know, we're not... We're not working to impress our neighbor. We're working to impress the Lord God. You see, we live in what preachers call the land of Ur. Now, let me tell you about preachers. The land of Ur. I, I hit the button on the computer, and the land of Ur, E-R, came up, and there was at least 25 sermons that I found on the land of Ur, preaching the same message and using the same PowerPoints. What does that tell you? Well, I'm going, I'm going to use the land of Ur, but I'm going to put my own twist on it. The land of Ur is this. When we live in the land of Ur, and we're with those in the land of Ur, we've got to be richer. We've got to be prettier. We've got to be skinnier. We've got to be smarter. We've got to be happier, superior, superior, talented Ur. Then you've got those in the land of Ur who aren't doing so well. They're heavier. Ooh, they're slower. Ooh, they're shorter. Short man syndrome. They're shorter. They're poorer. They're nerdier. I'm not a nerd, I don't think. I don't, I don't even know what a nerd is. <laughs> Just look on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, Google. How many likes did you get this week? Oh, I got 7,842 likes. How many did you get? 41. Oh, my God. You can relate that, honey. I, I, you got, how many likes did you, you get? a lot of likes. 58. She got 58. That girl next to you got 61. <laughs> oh, goodness. You see how it works? It's subtle. It's subtle. You know, it wasn't so subtle for Cain and Abel. Let's go to that passage, Cain and Abel. Here's where I want to spend some time, just a few minutes here in Cain and Abel. This thing of envy started way back in the, in the book of Genesis. It's unbelievable. You thought this was something new. Probably not. 
Let's read this passage. It's, it's Genesis chapter 4. Look with me. As we read Genesis chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, Adam knew Eve, his wife. That means that they had a baby together. That's, that's PG-13. Adam knew his Eve, knew his Eve wife. Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore who? Cain. Do you know what Cain means? It's not sugar cane. It means <laughs> spear. It means spear. It's kind of like a javelin thrower. You know, he's already got a bad rap right here at the beginning. Naming your son Spear. He's going to be a spearman. Yeah, he speared his brother and killed him. You got to watch what you name your kids. <laughs> What's your name? Hothniel. Anybody in here ever named their daughter Jezebel? I don't know. That, that's probably not a good name. I don't know. I got to go on. He said, I've acquired a man from the Lord. You know, if you study this Hebrew passage out, you know, this is not a good thing. See, Adam let Eve down. Gentlemen, we do let our women down sometimes. Well, Adam really let her, his woman down. He, <laughs> he stood there. He was with her when she ate the fruit. Stood right there. Honey, don't do it. Well, some commentators say that she was glad that she had another man in her life when she had Cain. In other words, my daughter and I were talking about this this morning, that she thought he, uh, he was going to be the promised child that's going to bring in the, where the serpent's heel would be bruised. Thought he was going to be a good good kid. And then she bore again. So she bore again. She tried again. And this time his brother Abel, well, I got another one. Good. Abel was a keeper of sheep, it says. Abel was a keeper of sheep. I've got a more calm son now. And then Cain was a tiller of the ground. He stuck that spear right in the ground. One was a farmer and one was a sheep herder. Those kind of jobs are, are not really prevalent in the middle of downtown Birmingham anymore, are they? And in the process of time, notice it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. He thought he was doing something good. Brought a fruit to the, of, of the offering to the Lord. And then the Lord and Abel brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And, you know, the gospel message is seen in here. Uh, one did a generous deed by his own works, and another did a generous deed by laying down the life of another, which is really the gospel. The gospel in the book of Genesis right here, chapter 4. He said, the Lord respected Abel and his offering. He didn't respect Cain and his offering, and Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. His face was downcast, in other words. And the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen, Cain? What's the matter? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin lies at the door. My goodness, and its desire is for you. But you should rule over it. Now, verse 8, Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. This is a picture of envy, ladies and gentlemen. It's the greatest picture of envy that's ever been recorded by humankind, in my opinion. 
It shows what happens to you and I when we allow ourselves to compare ourselves with those who commend themselves, as we'll look at in just a moment, where Cain compared his offering to his brother's offering, and his brother's offering was accepted by God. His offering was not accepted by God, and guess what? He killed him. That's not the best way to solve sibling rivalry in today's world. Listen, have you ever caught your kids doing something wrong? You've caught him and before your parents have, right? What do you say to them? You yell and scream and holler and everything? What do you think the tone of voice was when Father God saw Cain and his face was downcast? I think he said this, and I'm, I'm using my Christian imagination. I think he said, surely, Cain, you don't think what you did was okay? He's pleading with him as a father would plead with their child. You know, if, a, if your son goes out and breaks a window, surely, son, you didn't think it was okay for you to take that rock and throw it through the window? Or, or, or a daughter do some, does Well, my daughter's here. I better not say anything here. She... She, she's never done anything wrong, though. She's been a perfect child. <laughs> you see, have you ever wondered in this time in history that there were no regulations in the offering for the offering yet? There wasn't a Bible written down. Nobody wrote down. Came, uh, you got a constitution here at this church when you got the rules and regulations. There weren't any rules and regulations. God didn't say. Fat offering A, B, uh, fruit offering C, these are acceptable to me, can't you see? My goodness, I, <laughs> it happens all the time, my brother. There is no other, I'm sorry. You see, how did Cain and Abel know what to give? They didn't read the Baptist print. You know, it's speculation, but I think they might have had a vision or a dream, but really, maybe God spoke to them in their heart, or did they go and ask mom and dad? They, were, they did have parents, Adam and Eve, and they watched them just like kids watch their parents now. So, it's interesting to speculate. Cain brings an offering and Abel brings an offering. What about this? Are we to conclude that God prefers meat over vegetables? You know, one offering was meat. One offering was a veggie plate. You know, you go, you go, some people go to the buffet line and they like meat. Other people go to the buffet line and they like vegetables. Well, one offering was vegetables. One was meat. Was God a meat man <laughs> or was he a veggie man? Cain was a tiller of the ground. A farmer is going to bring vegetables to the table of the Lord. That's normally what a farmer does and a uh, a sheep herder is going to sacrifice an animal and bring it to the Lord. Does God prefer animals or fruits and vegetables? Well, we know that in the book of Leviticus, it says that God will take vegetables from a farmer. So that's not it. And there was an offering in the rabbinic days called a teruma offering where they brought these little offerings. And so what really was happening was Cain and Abel. Abel brought the best of the best of the best of the best of the best. Cain brought the leftovers. And that's what God was talking about. See, it wasn't about the offering. 
It was about the way the offering was given. You know, somebody may give $20 to a ministry, but their heart is far from God, and they do it out of obligation, and they get by, you know, and then somebody else gives the same amount of money, and God says, good, your heart is ripe. God loves a cheerful giver. Well, Cain was not a cheerful giver. He said, oh, I got to give God this. My goodness, I got to give God this, uh, give God this uh, offering, and I hate to do it. And he gave it to him. And where Abel goes, Lord, I love you. I want to give you this offering. And so he gives it. And so Cain and Abel have this conversation and the, in the field. And I don't know. Have you ever imagined what they talked about? Hey, Cain, what's the matter, boy? My offering was better than your offering, wasn't it? And it ends up escalating, and he kills him out in the field. When God confronts Cain, he says to him, Why is your face downcast, son? If any of you have ever been in a leadership position, or you've been a school teacher, you've been a pastor, you've been a businessman, you've seen employees with a downcast face. You know when your face is downcast, you know when your face doesn't look right? Something's going on where? In your heart. You know that. You know that in a marriage relationship. And you walk in the kitchen. You're sitting at the table. And your wife looks at you and say, Honey, your face looks really bad. What's going on? Nothing. You see? That's what happened to Cain. And he ended up murdering. Why are you downcast? And he, he warns him. Look at the text. He warns him. He says, Cain, why are you angry? And the, the main text says this. If you do well, you'll not be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door. It's desire for you. It's going to, but you must rule over it. You must rule over envy. That's God's word for us today. You've got to rule over this thing called envy because envy is crouching at your door and its desire is to eat you. It'll eat you up. Matter of fact, Proverbs 14.30 says... Peace brings life to the body. A sound heart is life to the body. If your heart is sound, your body has life. Amen? See, I, I, I watch my heart. I guard my heart. I preached on that one time here. Guard your heart, for it's the wellspring of life, for out of it flow the issues of life. Listen, what's in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. His face was downcast. He couldn't hide the fact that he was angry. And what does envy do? Let's read that last phrase together. But envy is rottenness to your bones. That word rottenness is not a good word. If you've ever had a rotten piece of fruit in your refrigerator or you've seen uh, uh, something that was exploded and it just disintegrated. Your bones are going to disintegrate if you keep envy in your spirit. Who wants to have disintegrated bones? We want our bones to be healthy. We want our bones to, to, to walk us in and out of the room. And we have a thankful spirit when we allow envy not to penetrate. Cain was drawn away and enticed by his own desires. He was desiring to have what he couldn't have. How many of y'all have ever seen a baby alligator? You know those little bitty baby alligators? They're about this long. 
six, seven inches long. They're kind of fun to play with, you know. They really are. They, they just kind of nip at you, you know, a little bit. But, you know, in a, they grow about six to ten inches a year, and they end up being six feet tall, six feet long, in other words. Well, you know, sin is like that. It's like a baby alligator crouch. I want you to picture a baby alligator outside your front door. You just open that door and look out, and there's that little baby alligator. Oh, how are you doing today? You give him a little food. Then about three, three weeks later, you go back outside the door, and you give him a little bit more food. Hey, I love this baby. Oh, my goodness, it's getting kind of big. This thing's still at my door. I Crouching at my door. I can still do Amazing. Still, cr- still crouching at your door. Then you go in there about six months, <laughs> and you open that door, and there's a six-foot alligator. And we go, whoa, no arm. And I'm making it comical, but it's true. That's what envy is. It's a baby alligator. It starts as a thought, a seed. And you ladies can relate to this. You're going into the store, and that lady goes in there. Ooh, look at her. Or a guy goes goes in, in his business and said, John, look at John. Look how, look how good he's doing. He got promoted to head custodian. I've been here for 13 years. He's been here for six months. I got promoted one time. It's a true story. I got promoted one time on a job, and I'd only been there for three months. And I was taken to court <laughs> by a bunch of people. And I, and I forget. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? Or the, the time in, in Missouri where, see, envy not only affects us, it affects people around us. I remember one time I was uh, playing a song. Uh, I'm a piano player, and I, I play, played for churches and I don't do that too much anymore, but I, I played this song one night, and, and the other man that was my, my uh, supervisor got up and said, well, you know, I don't play the piano like Rob plays the piano, but I sure know how to preach. Said that right in front of everybody, and I go, I went, uh, I stopped playing the piano because the supervisor didn't want me to play the piano anymore. That's how powerful that stuff is, and I just stopped playing. I've started to play again, but that was, that was a long time ago. But envy affects everybody around you. You know, envy is like an alligator. It'll eat you alive. It'll eat you alive. Now, we don't have time to go through those, all those stories that I wanted to tell you because we're, we're coming down to the end. But I want to turn with, with me over to uh, the book of Corinthians. It's over in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Just head on over there, Roger. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? No one in here has a problem with envy. I'm, I'm, I'm assuring that this is a very godly congregation. The next time I'm with you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach on this particular text in a little more in depth. Talk about your metron. Have you heard that term, metron? This is your sphere of authority, your sphere of influence, your ethos, if you will, where God has placed you in this life to serve Him with all your might. And you have a realm that He has you in. And if you stay in that realm, you'll have a happy, godly life. What happens is we try to move into another realm. It's called... 
One writer calls it the Peter Principle. If you've ever heard of this term, the Peter Principle, where you work to a level of incompetence. In other words, you're good at one thing, and then your boss or your company or somebody promotes you to another thing, and you're no good at it. It's like a salesman. You're the top salesperson in your company. You sell more than any other salesman. And then they promote you to sales manager. That's Spanish, manager. Ma- manager. And you just go down the tubes. Or you're a school teacher. And you're the best school teacher in the school. But they promote you to principal. And you go down the tubes. Well, why is that? Because your realm of authority was school teaching, not principal. You, you became a principal because they needed one and you... You went and got an education, but you may not be gifted and wired in that area. Now, you're going to succeed as a principal if you have been gifted, and that is your sphere. I'm talking about this happens in ministry all the time. It's happened to me where I was in a position on a staff doing one thing, and I wasn't even gifted in it, but I had to support my family. (laughs) it's It's like when you have to do everything, not everybody can do everything. I don't mind telling you that no leader in the body, even a a pastor that's a lead pastor of a church of 25,000, does everything. You have to find out where you're called and where you're gifted and don't compare yourself with other people. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For we dare not class ourselves or compare ourselves with those who commend themselves. See, there were people in Paul's day that were commending themselves. Well, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. I'm commending myself. But they measure themselves by themselves (laughs) and compare themselves among themselves, and they are what? Not wise. You know what the Greek word there is? Stupid. Not wise. Not wise. We, however... Say, we, however, we, however, will not boast beyond measure. That's that word metron. But within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. That's good news. You know what I'm saying? When you know the sphere that God has appointed you to serve in, your measure of grace You can set at ease in Zion because you're doing what God has called you to do. You're not doing any more or any less. You're doing what the Master has made you to do. See, I'm made to do what I'm doing right now. I love it. But I I love cleaning floors as well. But (laughs) that's that's just my vocation to put bread on the table. But you see, when you find what your sphere is, it includes everybody that's around you. So if everybody around you is moving in their sphere, then guess what? Something good is about to happen. Oh, that's a slogan I've heard before. Something good is going to happen to you this very day, no other way. That's that's good. All right. Do y'all really know what envy is? Envy is basically a quality 
status, power, success, or happiness that another person has, and you want it. I mean, that's, that's really what it is. You desire them to fail or suffer, not just wanting what they have. It desires them to suffer because of it. And that's what happens. You know, we see it. Suppose we, we've got a group of Christians that we're gathering together to talk about our sin, you know. Envy, nobody wants to talk about. Now, gluttony, you know, overeating, uh, lust, uh, those other things, addictions, drug addiction, all those things, and we confess those things. But when we confess envy, everybody goes, you? You had envy? I mean, I thought you were, I thought you were just a godly, wonderful, righteous person. We're amazed when somebody says, well, you know, I, I envy your husband. He's such a good-looking dude. I want him. What? Oh, my goodness. It'll destroy your life. What about physical comparisons? The pecking order starts at age six. I mean, we start comparing at age six. You know when it ends up? It ends up in death. Starts at six and ends at death. Talent, success, education. Man, have you ever been to a first grade birthday party? <laughs> it's unbelievable. My, my, uh, my son read Dr. Seuss this week. Well, my son read the biography of Dr. Seuss. Well, my son is into the Pythagorean theorem. No, well, my son's the one over in a corner with a bucket over his head beating his head against the wall. Oh, my goodness. Compare, compare, compare. You know, if you're in the U.S. right now, any Asian child, we're number 17, according to statistics, in the, in the world now. We, we've dropped way, way down, and we're envious of the Asian culture because they're a lot smarter. You know, there's a boy in my school. It's the funniest thing. He, he's from an Asian nation. The boy is reading a book while waiting for the bus. He reads like two or three books while he's waiting for the bus, and he's in second grade. While these other little kids are over there, give me that, give me that. Give me that. They're being little kids. Well, someday this boy may maybe some kind of rocket scientist or something. But you don't want to envy that because these other kids are just little kids. We don't want to envy. You know, envy is what killed Jesus. That's the hard thing about this, this whole teaching. And it's in two places. It says the people had handed over Jesus to Pilate because of what? Envy. Jesus, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, preached the gospel of truth, preached the gospel of love, and people killed him for loving people. I like what one lady said. It, she called it the witty one, W-I-T-T-Y. It's what Jesus said to Peter at the end of John's gospel. What is that to you? What is that to you? John, Peter, Peter. John, Peter asked Jesus, well, what about him? He was envious of the one whom Jesus loved. What's that to you, Peter? You follow me. But John the Baptist, on the other hand, passed the envy test. Hey, John, John, all those disciples are leaving your ministry and they're going after Jesus. Yeah, he must increase and I must decrease. Hey, the first Baptist down here has got more members than we do. Over here in Morris. Well, that's good. Let's, let's, 
Let's send them some more. <laughs> you know, that was a joke. You know, envy is never in, looking at somebody else and thinking, I wish I had that. That's what envy is. I'm going to bring it down to two truths to end this talk up. Very simple. What's the solution for envy? You didn't think I was going to get there, did you? What's the solution? It's right up there. Why don't you say it with me? Gratitude and kindness. See, envy is uh, rooted in how you see yourself. It's not, it's not the other person. It's how you see yourself. If you have a good self-image, it's never about the other person, never about what the other person has. You see, the simple gospel message the brother said this morning is the fact while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that God loved us before we loved him. So we're loved at the foundation of who we are. We're loved by God. So if you know you're loved by God, then nothing that anybody else is doing around you really matters. Because you have the great creator of the universe on your side, and you have him living and breathing inside of you, so you're thankful. And it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, let's read this together. In some things give thanks. What does it say? In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I love it. What's, people ask me all the time, what's the will of God for me? Give thanks in all things. Say that with me. Give thanks in all things. How many things? All things. Lord, I thank you for my breath. Let's do that exercise. Just, real, just breathe in and breathe out. Lord, I'm thankful that I can do that. Listen, if you were... Uh, patient with emphysema, you'd really be thankful. Now, you don't want to walk into Publix and be walking by everybody and going, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, hallelujah. How you doing today? Thank you, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. No, but you can take 10 seconds, 10 times a day, that's 100 seconds a day, and be thankful Lord, I thank you for my house. Lord, I thank you for my kids. Lord, I thank you for my wife. I thank you for my job. I thank you for my car. I thank you for my whatever. Just keep thanking. And you know what happens? I thank you for these leaves, Lord, that I can't stand to rake. But I thank you, Lord, that the the trees are... uh, (laughs) I got trees that protect me from that heat. God, it's going to kill me if I stand out here. I thank you that I don't have skin cancer, God. You know what I'm saying? It just happens. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. Aren't you getting happy? You see, you don't want to thank God that somebody just got killed in everything, but you can thank God that you have another breath. You you see the point of the story. Thank God in all things. Have gratitude. No grumbling about the Joneses. Well, I went to the Joneses last night, Rob, and they had a nine-foot ceiling, and I only have an eight-foot ceiling. <laughs> I got to go and build another ceiling for my house. Oh, absolutely. Thr- for- Think about Jesus dying for you. That, that'll, that'll preach all the things that, that we can thank Him for. And that it was, it was uh, the man that preached last week, preached on the cross. He preached on it's the most important because I'm a preacher and I look online and I see what other people are preaching. He said it's the most important thing he preached on the cross. And it is. If you look at the cross, envy 
kind of goes out the door. You can just center in on that. Well, what if Hillary Clinton wins, Rob? Well, what if Donald Trump wins? What if neither one of them win? They both drop, out, drop dead three minutes before the election, and we have to elect somebody else. Be, be thankful. Listen, do you want to go back in the time of the Roman Empire? Jesus conquered the Roman Empire. Do we want to live back there? Do we want to go back where the women lived in 18, you ladies, 1850? 1950? No, ladies, you don't. What, what about dentistry back then? What about a colonoscopy? <laughs> you know, in 1850, how about 1750? <laughs> I know it's comical, but we got to be thankful. That's how you get rid of envy. The last one is this. Not only gratitude, but kindness will break the power of the enemy. Kindness will break the power of the enemy, break the power of envy. Listen, do you know that there are stories of people in airports that have been standing in line for hours and a person will give the give the person in front of them their place as an act of kindness and the kingdom of God comes right there in the airport. See what I'm saying? You just, oh, excuse me, I know I've been standing in line for three hours. Well, how many hours have you been standing in line? Well, about four. Well, here, you take my place. <laughs> and then they'll say, well, why did you do that? And I've had this happen to me. Why did you do that? Well, I wanted to show you the kindness of God. And then they'll say, well, you know, I don't believe in that. or I don't, You know, it's a conversation starter. You know, when you give uh, acts of kindness to someone else, you're proclaiming the kingdom of God right there. If you, see, if, if you send somebody a check that makes more money than you do, you know, one of the things I've started at our school is, as a custodial team, we help serve the teachers. We do that anyway, but we bring some lunch. One day we got lunch together and we, we gave it to the teachers. Well, you're not supposed to do that. You're, de- you're the custodian. We're, supposed to, we're up now. You serve. You show kindness. Show kindness. Here's a couple of scriptures in conclusion. Colossians 3.12. There, for as the elect of God. How many of y'all are in the elect of God? Is that you? You're the elect of God. That's a whole other sermon, isn't it? Holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. <laughs> How many of you have had a loved one that hasn't come to Christ yet? Somebody in your family that hasn't come to Christ yet? It's very hard to be patient with them. And you know, they're envious of you whether they say that or not. That's what the gospel is called, gospel envy. I'm talking to an atheist lady at school that's a school teacher, and I, I meet with her about twice a week, and we talk about Jesus, the person that she doesn't believe in. But all over her room, she's got all kinds of pictures, and it's right out of the Bible, and she doesn't even believe in the Bible. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? She's a very kind, loving, and gentle person. She's never received Jesus Christ. So if I come in preaching real hard to her, well, you know what an atheist he is. You know, they, they die and go to a devil's hell. You need to repent and be saved, brother or sister. No, no. 
You just take out the lady's trash four times a day. Or you do her room immaculately. And she'll start asking you, well, what is it about you that's different? Kindness. Kindness. This last scripture, this is a tough one here, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. Oh, my goodness. Giving all diligence. 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 Add to your faith. What? Virtue to virtue. Knowledge. Not to kindness yet. Knowledge. Self-control. Not there yet. Self-control. Perseverance. Not there yet. Perseverance. Godliness. Not there yet. Now we're there. To godliness. Brotherly kindness. You can put sisterly in there. And to brotherly kindness. Love. Kindness leads to love. Doesn't lead to envy. If you're kind to your enemy. You know the scriptures said love your enemies. That's a, that's a beautiful message that Jesus gave. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. Let me finish this passage. For if these things are yours, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is what? short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his old sins. Let me challenge you once a day, maybe even once a week, practice kindness and envy will disappear from your life. Be kind to your enemies and if envy is a practice of the heart, so is the solution. Practicing kindness, thankfulness and gratitude in secret even in our imagination, can set us free from envy and comparisons. Discipline yourself. Discipline yourself to get rid of envy. Why is your face downcast? For sin is crouching at your door. Let envy go away and let kindness and gratitude replace it. Amen? Did you get something out of this this morning? Well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. For more information on Eagles Wing Church, visit our website at www.eagleswingchurch.org or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Eagles Wing Church. Thanks for listening and have a blessed week.